Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Happy New Year once again, everybody. How are we doing today? Man, I am fired up about jumping into this new series. As has already been said, we are kicking off a new series to kick off a new year called Mindset, and we are, we're really focusing on this reality. It's not a new reality. It's been front page of the news, it feels like, for the past five or ten years, maybe, but it's this reality that Either you know personally, it's a journey that you've walked personally, or you know someone who has. And it's this reality of mental health and dealing with mental health struggles. And what does it look like for us to move from struggle to strength when it comes to our mindset? And there are so many passages in the Bible that talk about setting your mind on things above, setting your mind on Christ. Where you set your mind will set the direction of your life. And my heart for you, my prayer for you, my my prayer for us as a church family as we head into 2024 is that through God's word, I would be able to help you, to equip you, to face some of the battles that you're going to face. Just because you're a human on planet Earth and there is a battle going on, whether you realize it or not, there is a struggle and a battle going on and it's invisible, it's not necessarily tangible, it's not something you can necessarily see with your eyes or touch or taste or smell, it's a battle in the mind. It's a battle with our thoughts. It's a battle with our thoughts that leads to a battle with our emotions and our actions because where we set our minds will determine the direction of our lives. Where we set our minds will determine the direction of our lives. And so my title today, and I I just want to encourage you as you step into this new year, As you step into this new year, I want to encourage you to engage in the battle of the mind because you may not realize you're in a battle. You may not realize that there actually is a battle over your mind, what you'll think about, what you'll give your attention to, what you will give your heart and your emotions and your affections to, but there is. And for most of you in the room, you're like, yeah, I know. I'm there, I'm in it, I've been in it, I'm probably gonna be in it again. I know someone that's in it, I'm not sure exactly what to do about it, how to, how to fight in this battle. I, I find myself being bombarded with thoughts that I can't seem to get rid of. I find myself in patterns of self-destructive thinking and it's hurting my relationships, it's hurting, it's hurting my own dreams and goals, it maybe it's hurting your career or your family. Friends, what we think about What we dwell on, it shapes our lives. And whatever, whatever gets a hold of your mind, at the end of the day, friends, it gets a hold of you. Whatever gets a hold of your mind gets you. And I'm not trying to to be sensationalist or to overstate the reality of this issue, but I wanna say this clearly. 
Maybe you've never been diagnosed with a mental illness or some version of anxiety disorder or depression or any of those sort of things. Maybe you've never actually been officially diagnosed with something like that, but I promise you, and biblically speaking, every single person on the planet deals with mental illness, if you will, because all of us deal with sin, All of us deal with sin and sinful thoughts and the broken nature of the world. They're intrusive. They're a part of our reality day in and day out. You may not, quote unquote, have an anxiety disorder, but I guarantee you, if you're breathing in the room today, you know what anxiety feels like. Come on, somebody. You know what stress feels like. You know what fear feels like. You've had seasons where you've been depressed or so sad or discouraged, you haven't had any motivation left in your life. And the question is this, where do we go in those moments? Is there any way out of it? How do we walk through this? And I don't claim to be a mental health expert, but I, I've read the Bible a lot. I've studied God's word, and God's word has a lot to say about this. And, and for some of you, the step that you may need to take in 2024 as we head into a new year, you may need to say, hey, I, I need some professional counseling. I need to take a step towards some professional help in these areas because my mental health battles have been debilitating and they're affecting my life in a major way. For some of you, you, just need, you may need to let somebody else in on that. You may need to um, open up about what you're journeying through or walking through. But what I wanna say is this, while I may not be a mental health expert, what I want to do is I, I wanna share with you the truth of God's word on this subject because God has a lot to say about our minds, our thoughts, because of how much they affect our lives. And I wanna share with you the truth of God's word as an additional tool in your tool belt, really as the ultimate tool in your tool belt to find freedom, to walk in purpose, to find hope and encouragement as you step into a new year. Some of you in this moment, some of you watching online right now, You are in a place where you have just reached the end. You've reached the end of the line, the end of the road for you, and there's a moment, there's maybe an experience that you're facing where you have said to yourself, I I don't know the way forward, but I know I can't keep doing it like this. I need God to break through. I need God to break in. Lord, I need some help. Some of you in this moment are like blind Bartimaeus in the story of the Gospels who was begging for bread at the city gates and he heard that Jesus was walking by and he started to cry out, Son of David, don't pass me by. Son of David, don't pass me by. Nobody else around him wanted him to keep talking. They tried to silence him. They said, be quiet. He wants nothing to do with you. But he yelled all the louder because he was so desperate for Jesus' help. There are some of you in this moment that are right there. And I want to encourage you with this. God sees you. He hears you. We serve a God that stops on the road when others are telling blind Bartimaeus to be silent and he moves towards you. And he says, it's not over yet. It is not over yet for you. It's not over yet for your family and friends. Whatever you're facing today, 
My prayer for you is that you would begin to move in a direction of breakthrough. There, it's a journey. I'm not offering today some quick fix. I'm not saying, wow, you pray this prayer and tomorrow you're never gonna deal with fear, or sadness, or anxiety again. But what I am saying to you is this, there's a God who's with you. He wants to walk with you. He's gonna bring others into your life to journey with you. And friends, I wanna encourage you, take a step towards getting into a small group this year. Take a step, make, make your spiritual health, make your participation in worship a priority because there is something powerful that happens in this room when we gather together and we take our, our minds and our eyes off of our lives and our circumstances and we begin to look at the God, the maker, the creator of the entire world who is above our problems, who is stronger than our problems, and who is the only one who is able to walk us through whatever we're walking through. Amen? That's my hope for us this year. And friends, this is a big issue. Our mindset, the battle of our minds, how do we approach this from a scriptural perspective? There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake for us personally. There's a lot at stake for our, our families, our work, our dreams, our future. Mental health issues, mental health struggles has taken lives. It stopped world-class athletes from doing what they've trained their whole lives to do. It may be invisible, but its effects are so obvious. It may feel silent like a, like a recorder happening inside your mind that no one else can hear, but you know it's very loud. It is very loud. Recently, I was... I had a movie with my family. I say recently, it was several months back. We all went to go see uh, the newest Avatar movie. And there's a scene in the movie where one of the main characters is, is swimming out by a coral reef and he dives down and without knowing what was about to happen or unexpectedly, he begins to get chased by a massive sea monster on this alien planet. And he's not one of the big blue aliens who knows how to breathe underwater. So he dives down into this coral reef. This massive shark thing is after him. And I remember in that moment being fully engrossed in the story. And maybe about a minute or two into the scene, I realized I'm not breathing. I had been holding my breath the whole time. I was like, oh. I like took a breath. I was like, whoa, God, I've been holding my breath because he was, hold the big blue alien was holding his breath. I thought I better hold my breath too. And then I thought, man, I'm running out of air. I hope he gets up soon or he's gonna die, you know? And then I'm like, oh, I, gotta, I need to breathe. And then I realized once I took a breath, I was also gripping the edge of the seats with all my might. And my daughter sitting next to me, she was gripping my arm with all her might. Now let me just ask you a simple question, not a, not a trick question, just a simple question. Was I in danger of drowning in that moment? No. Was anybody in that theater in danger of being eaten by a sea monster in that moment? No, but we were so engrossed in the story and what was happening on the screen that our entire, I mean, my toes were like curling up. I was like, J calm down, Hanson, this isn't real. Why are you so emotionally attached to blue aliens? Like, what's happening? And I remember just thinking, oh, okay, just take a breath, take a breath. You're like, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. Ah, <sighs> okay. And I thought about it, I was like, you know, 
this is a little bit how mental health works. It's about, it's about being engaged in a story that may not be true. You see, oftentimes we will replay the movie of our past. The traumatic experiences of our past, the betrayals, mistakes, the broken relationships, and we lose ourselves in the stories of our past that we can't change. And maybe suddenly as we get lost in the journey of all the regrets we may have in life, suddenly our chest becomes tighter. Suddenly it becomes harder to breathe. Suddenly, and maybe you've experienced this, your body carries that trauma from the past and our brain is telling our body to go into survival mode even though there is no movie on the big screen anymore. That's long gone, but it's still affecting us. The same is true for anxiety or stress, except it's not you know, playing a movie from the past, it's playing a movie of what the future could be. And the movie that we're watching of the future is catastrophic. We're thinking in our minds of all the fearful, horrible things that may or may not happen. And suddenly, again, we find our chest tightening up. We find our, our hands gripping, holding on to the things that we have tightly. And our emotions begin to spiral because we're afraid of what might come, what might happen in the future. Friends, in this series, Mindset. I want us to take the next several weeks to think about what we think about. Because what happens is exactly what happens to me when I was sitting there watching this movie. I didn't even realize my body was having a physical reaction to watching the scene on the movie until I realized I need to take a breath. This isn't real. This is, I'm not drowning. I'm okay, I'm gonna be okay. And we need to get to a spot in our hearts and in our lives where we can say, Lord, I'm releasing the past and I'm trusting you with the future and I'm not gonna spiral into this place of, of thoughts, into this place of mental struggle where suddenly this unknown future filled with unknown fears and catastrophic things that may or may not happen is dramatically impacting how I relate to my real life and the real people in my real life here and now. I don't want that to ruin and steal my joy and my peace and my ability to be present with those that I love. There's so many scriptures that we could look at around this topic. As I began to study the, the topic of the mind and the thoughts, there, there's so much that God's word says about this, but what we're gonna look at over the next three to four weeks is what does it look like for us to renew our minds with the truth? What does it look like for us to guard our minds from lies from the attacks of the enemy? What does it look like for us to transform the way that we think? Because when we transform the way that we think, when we begin to demolish those lives, those lies that limit our lives, that destroy our relationships, that keep us stuck in patterns and cycles of self-destructive behavior, when we learn to take those thoughts captive and replace it with a new narrative, friends, I'm here to tell you today, it will change the experience and course and direction of your life. It will change your entire experience of life if we can become aware of the thoughts that we are thinking often, we just get caught up in them. 
And we don't even realize that we're caught up in these thoughts until we haven't taken a breath for two minutes or we're gripping the edge of our seat for no reason. Our thoughts tend to just sweep us along like a current until we become aware of them. 2 Corinthians 10, three to five is one of the most famous passages on the battle of the mind. And the apostle Paul, he says this, listen to these words. It's so relevant for us today. Though we walk in the flesh, in this natural body that we have, we are not waging war according to the flesh. It's not just the battle, the physical battle that we see around us. It's something spiritual, internal in our minds. He goes on to say, the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh, but of divine power. Friends, what would it be like if you began to walk in the divine power of God that was available to you to begin to take your thoughts, your destructive thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ? He goes on. We have divine power to destroy strongholds. We'll come back to that in just a moment. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, which is the truth, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Have you ever tried that before? Have you ever had a thought just pass through your mind and suddenly your emotions get caught up in it? Suddenly, that thought is affecting your mood. It's affecting how you talk and relate to people. Suddenly, you're ruminating on it, a conversation that you had. I don't know if you ever do this. I'm just gonna throw, throw this one out there. Have you ever just been in, a, in an argument or a conflict, right, with somebody, and then you've walked away, but as you leave that conversation or get in your car and you're driving away, you're still having the argument? Come on, somebody, we're in church. We can be real. <laughs> And you're thinking, oh, I wish I would have said that. That one would have got him. Oh, man, I can't believe I said that. And you're ruminating on it for days. And maybe, maybe, just maybe you're even thinking, oh, if I get another chance at this one, I know what I'm going to say. We've all been there. And these thoughts, the battle of our mind, if we don't take it captive and say, you need to obey Christ, here's a new thought, replace it with truth, will spiral, it will begin to send the course of our lives in the wrong direction. Friends, think of this, right? The battle for your life, your life, your actual life is won or lost in your mind. Your thoughts will control you if you don't learn to take them captive and control them. Friends, do not believe everything you think. You need to learn to be a little bit distrusting of your own thoughts. So often we may think a thought and immediately we take that thought as gospel truth and we run with it and it might be a lie. It might not be true. You might be catastrophizing about a future situation that is never going to happen. You might be beating yourself up over a past mistake or a past regret that you can never change. And God is here to remind you, to remind you that there is freedom. There is freedom and there is hope no matter how long you may have been dealing with something. A few years back, we, we went on a trip with our church to Israel. 
And Lord willing, we're gonna go again this fall. So as soon as we figure out dates or we see what's happening in the Middle East, we'll let you know about that trip. It's a powerful trip. It's one of the most powerful trips I believe you can take as a follower of Christ just to, to be in the land where Jesus was. But one of the places that we visited on that trip was a place called Masada. And Paul was talking about strongholds. There are strongholds in our minds. And these strongholds, um, the word picture that he's using there is a place, a fortified place that is almost impossible to, to attack. It's almost impossible to invade. It's fortified. It's difficult. It is, it's a walled city that an enemy or even a good guy, if they're trying to take out the enemy, has a very difficult time getting to it, conquering it, or destroying it. This this place right here was inhabited by Jewish zealots. It was actually inhabited by the very ones who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, which we found back in the 1940s. It's the earliest written documentation of the scripture that we have. Now, if you look at this from the other angle, I just want you to see, look how steep the cliffs are around this thing. Imagine trying to conquer that stronghold. The Roman military, when they took over that entire area, this was one of the last places that they were able to conquer. And the only way they were able to do it, I don't know if you can see this, there is a literal road that they had to build. They had to build a mountain next to the mountain that got them all the way up to the top. There was a small little group of Jewish zealots that literally stood against the entire Roman army because of how difficult it was to get into this stronghold. And Paul, right here in 2 Corinthians 10, says, God has given you divine power to demolish the strongholds in your life the wrong patterns of thinking. He says this, you have divine power to take every thought. He's talking about thoughts. These strongholds are not fortified castles. They're thoughts, patterns of thinking in your mind that are keeping you pressed down. They're keeping you in cycles of self-destructive behavior. They are ruining relationships, family dynamics, marriages. They're ruining your health. These are serious things. And all of us, if you're a human breathing on planet earth, you have some strongholds in your life and God knows about them. God sees them and he says, I wanna help you. I know how to take out that stronghold. I can build a road right up to the top and I can give you the strength to overcome whatever is behind those walls. And maybe, just maybe, that stronghold, that lie, those, those things that you believe about yourself or about the world that are not true, maybe those started when you were really young. Maybe those have been lies that you have believed for many, many years and yet God still says, you can change. It's not gonna be easy. There are no quick fixes, but by the power of the Spirit of God, you can learn to take thoughts captive, to bring them into submission to Christ. He's given us all we need to walk in a life of freedom and joy. And friends, a stronghold. It can be something like a worldview, you know, there's a lot of worldviews that get into people's minds, such as materialism. 
thinking, gosh, I, I just need more stuff to be happy. If I get more things, I'll be, more money will make me happy. Hedonism is a, is a stronghold. It's a worldview that says, I, I'm living for the next high. I'm living for the next hit. I, I just gotta, you know, if I'm, not, if I'm not experiencing the ultimate thrill at all times, then my life is miserable. Secularism is a stronghold in American culture. It's this idea that we don't need God. We can do and live our life without God. Atheism is a stronghold. A flat denial in the existence of God. All these things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. A, a stronghold could be a personal struggle. We all have personal struggle, a, a pattern of sin, perhaps an addiction. Maybe it's an attitude. Worry can be a stronghold. Seeking the approval of other people can be a stronghold. Anything that you make into an idol in your life can become a stronghold. Fear, guilt, money, resentment, unforgiveness, insecurity. Strongholds. And these are things that go deep. And many of us have dealt with them for a long time. But I wanna say this. Every stronghold that we have in our lives, it's attached to a lie. It's attached to some lie that we've come to believe. It's attached to some, something that we believe about ourselves or others or God that is not true. I wanna read another passage for us from John chapter eight because Jesus addresses this reality of lies. He says this, John eight, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I gotta just pause there real quick. How many of you in this room have a smartphone? <laughs> yeah, everybody, right, okay. Uh, not a trick question either. Um, if you don't have the Bible app, I'm giving you full permission right now in this sermon to pull it out and download the Bible app. On that Bible app, are about a million different reading plans. Read through the Bible in a year. Some of them are more aggressive, some are more chill. There is one with uh, just a, a hero of mine, a guy by the name of Nicky Gumbel. He's out, of, he's out of Great Britain, so you get to listen to his awesome British accent as he you know, reads his commentary on the different passages of scripture that you're reading. But, but listen to what Jesus said again real quick. He just said this, if you abide in my word, if you are in the word of God, you are truly my disciples. Okay, let's take the flip of that. If you're not abiding in the word of God, if you're not reading the word of God at all, can you be a disciple? Can you actually follow the way of Jesus? I actually wanna present to you, you can be saved by grace right here and now, but to be a disciple and follow Jesus, you gotta get in his word every day. You wanna renew your mind and start destroying strongholds and lies, you gotta get in the word. I wanna encourage you this year, make the word of God a priority in your life. He goes on in verse 32. And you will know the truth. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you, let's try it again. The truth will set you free. Now the amazing thing is, the people that he's talking to, they respond in a very, you know, 
in a way that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's so real. That's how I might respond in a moment like that. Verse 33, they answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Yes, the Roman Empire is governing us, but we're not actively slaves like our forefathers were in Egypt. He goes, what do you mean free? I am free. We're free, right? How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, all of us struggle with sin. All of us struggle with Anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. We all struggle with lies at one level or another. We struggle with lust. We struggle with all nature of things deep within us that are not good for us, are, un, are dishonoring to God. And the reality is at some level in this life, we are always going to fight, to have to fight for freedom, to live in the truth so that we're free from sin. That's what Jesus is saying. He goes on, he gets pretty intense here, speaking to the Jewish leaders. Down in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. That's what Jesus says. You would love me for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you, Jesus asked? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And then he says this, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, when the devil lies, when, when you hear the whisper of the lies that you maybe have believed for a long time, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. I'll give you an example of this. Harry Houdini, ever heard of him? Very famous uh, illusionist, right? Magician. 1876 to the early 1940s, he became one of the most well-known illusionists on the planet. And one of the ways that he would sort of drum up interest when he came to town to try and gather people to his show is he would go to the local jailer and he would say, I want you to lock me in a jail cell and I'm gonna invite as many people as I can to come to the jail. And within 60 seconds, I'm going to break out in front of everybody. That was his thing. So from city to city, he would go, he would get locked in jail, he'd break out in less than 60 seconds, and then the following day, the whole town would show up for his act. Now, this one jailer heard about this thing that he liked to do, and he thought, man, maybe just maybe, I can pull an illusion, I could pull a trick on the master of trickery. Maybe just maybe I could trick him into thinking he's locked in that jail cell when actually he's not. And so when Houdini came to town, the jailer said, absolutely, tell everybody, we'll do it tonight at sunset, it'll be great. And um, Houdini goes into the cell, the jailer shuts the door, he pulls out the big key, and instead of locking it, he turns it the other way to make it look like he locked it, pulls the key out and walks away. Houdini walks directly up to the door, does his little deal, clicks the thing over, is ready to push the door open, cha-ching, doesn't move. 
Confused, he steps back, he looks at it. You know, he resets the lock, looks at it again, does his thing, locks the door again, tries to open it, can't open it. He does this two or three more times and then declares, I'm stuck. Would you please let me out? I cannot get out of this jail cell. To which the jailer replied, the door's open, walk on out. The door's open, walk on out. Friends, that's how lies work. Lies keep you trapped in a cell of your own making. That's how they work. When you buy into these lies, what happens is this. God, through Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel, he sets you free. Whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. And so now it's a matter of identifying the lies that we believe and learning to just walk out the door that Christ has opened for us. Now, getting locked in a jail cell, you know, as a part of a magic show, that's not really a big deal. The jailer was there, he could let him out. But think about this. What if you believe the lie that you will never be worthy of love or respect? You see, if you believe that lie, then you'll allow people to mistreat you your entire life because deep down you think that's what you deserve. What if you believe the lie that you've made too many mistakes to live a happy and fulfilled life? What if you believe the lie that you've missed your calling and now you're too far down another path and you can't start over and you're stuck? What if you've experienced a catastrophic fail, a failure, a rock bottom moment, you've been through a divorce, you've, you've, you know, whatever it may be, fill in the blank and you think you'll never experience a healthy relationship or a healthy life ever again. Maybe you think to yourself, I'm just not smart. Maybe somebody told you somewhere along the way that you're not smart. And so you believe that lie and you think I'll never do anything significant with my life because I'm just not smart. It's a jail cell of your own making. The door is open. Maybe you've believed a lie that you'll never be able to break free from that addiction, that self-destructive habit. You'll never change because, gosh, you're doomed to relive the failures of your father's father's father. And what Jesus Christ would say to you today is you can be free. I've given you divine power to demolish those strongholds so that you can live a new life. You just have to learn to take those lies captive and bring them obedient to the truth of the gospel. Amen? This is what it means to walk and live the Christian life. I know in my own life, just to, to be vulnerable, to share with you some of, the, some of the lies that I've struggled with as a pastor, as a leader, you know, if, if you've ever done public speaking or communication, one, one of the things they, they tell you to do is record yourself and then watch it over again. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's one of the most uncomfortable things you will ever do. <laughs> I, I force myself often to watch my sermons after I preach them. And I literally, I can't tell you how many times I've watched one of my own sermons and thought, oh, God, that was awful. I don't even know what I'm talking about. How does anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't even know why y'all are here. 
And, and I'm making light of that, but it's true. You know, the insecurities, the lies of the enemy. Oh gosh, that was, that was a bad analogy or that one didn't land or where are you going with that one, Hanson? And, and then, you know, the lies begin to creep in. Maybe a lie I've dealt with is, is Jonathan. You're just not a good leader. You're not a very good leader, Jonathan. You probably should just do something where you're not leading anything. Uh, because I've made mistakes as a leader. I've done things that I'm like, man, I wish I could have gone back and done that different. Um, maybe this one, this is what I've dealt with. Man, I'm just not disciplined enough. I wish I could read faster, study faster, and write faster, so it took me less time to write sermons that I watch later on YouTube and don't even like. And I say this tongue-in-cheek because, you know, at the end of the day, if I believed those lies, if I gave in to all those lies, if I actually thought that those lies were the defining narrative of my life, I'd quit. I'd go, I'd go into sales or something. I'd go find something else to do, right? But that would derail me from what God has called me to do. That would derail me from what God has put me on this planet to do. And friends, all of you face lies like that in your own way, in your own life, whether it's parenting, whether it's in friendships, maybe it's at work, maybe it's when you scroll social media and you compare your life to everybody else and you just think, God, my life is awful. And these narratives take hold of your mind and the end of that road, if, you, if, if the enemy can get you to buy into those lies, the end of that road is you saying, I'm done. I quit. In fact, maybe it would just be better if I wasn't even here. You see, there are two competing visions for your life. Here we are at the beginning of 2024. If you're anything like me, you know, you wanna have dreams and visions for what this year could be and how you want to grow as a human and as a person. And yes, I, I wanna grow as a communicator and a leader. And yes, I've made mistakes. And yes, we all have areas where we can get better in our marriages, relationships, our careers, whatever it may be. But life is a journey. And the journey is about growth. It's not about giving up. It's not about perfection. And there's two visions for your life. You see, God has a vision for your life. God has a vision board for your life of all he wants you to become. God has dreams for your life. God's vision, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans. I know the dreams, the visions I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you future and hope. God has good dreams for your life. And yet, what we forget, what we become unaware of, is that the enemy of your soul, Satan himself, he has a vision for your life too. He has a very clear vision for your life, very simple. It's been the same vision for every human who's ever lived because he hates God and he hates anybody who's an image bearer of God. And his vision for your life sounds like this. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. God says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full, which vision will you give in to? Which vision will you follow? Friends, I know that there are many in this room, many watching online, who in your life, in your journey, you've reached a point where you thought to yourself, I can't take another step. I have hit the wall. 
This past year, I, I'll close with this. The, the keys can come out and we'll move towards communion in a second. But I, I just want to share this with you because it, it was so powerful for me. Uh, last January, I was in a place, truly, honestly, I, I was like, I don't think I can take another step forward in my life. I'm, exa- I'm exhausted, all these different things, all the lies of the enemy coming in. And um, I don't know, you know, maybe it was a midlife crisis. I'm turning 40 this year. And so maybe that was part of it too. But I thought to myself last January, I'm just, I'm gonna sign up for an ultra marathon. I've shared this with you guys before. And uh, that's gonna be my big, crazy, one of my big goals for the year. And I started training for it, talked to other guys who had done it. And every single person I had spoken to who had ever completed um, any distance of 26 miles or longer, uh, they all said to me, Jonathan, Get ready. I promise you this will happen. There will be a moment on this race, in this run, where you are convinced in your mind that you cannot take another step. You're gonna hit a wall. It's called the wall. And then they talk about the second wind. If you can make it through the wall, you'll experience the second wind. I remember part of this race, it was in Mammoth, California. I remember having to run up the backside of Mammoth Mountain. And by run, I basically mean crawl. Same thing, right? I was moving about 0.3 miles an hour. Every step felt horrible. My kids and my wife were waiting for me at the top. There's a gondola that goes to the top so your family can see up there. There's an aid station where you can get some food and water for the next 14 miles of the race after you've already run 18 miles. And I got to the top and Lindsay's there with the kids and you know she's got some food for me and the kids are like, Dad, why are you going so slow? <laughs> Sawyer's like, what you got in that bag? Is that a Snickers bar? Can I have it, Dad? I'm like, I'm dying here, son. Don't eat my food. Like. Go down, you know, to the village and get some food. And the other thing that was at the top of the mountain, kind of like Navy SEAL psychological craziness, was a bell. And what you could do at the top of the mountain, if you made it 18 miles in right there, you could ring the bell, tap out and say, man, I'm taking the gondola down five minutes away from a beverage of my choice, a slice of pizza and a hot tub. Come on, Jesus, right? or 14 more miles. And I just remember sitting down up there, eating a little bit of food, drinking some water, and just hearing that bell, ding, 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 ding. People hopping on that gondola, I'm like, oh, that looks so great. But I kept going. Running down the mountain, honestly, maybe hurt worse than running up. My knees felt like they were gonna explode. And I remember hitting mile 22, there was another aid station, six miles further on down, my wife was there. <laughs> I just remember saying when I, when I got there, I was like, I cannot take another step. Everything hurts. I'm pretty sure I'm injured in every area of my body. And my, <laughs> my wife looked at me and she goes, remember, they all said you were gonna get right here. And she goes, just, just walk to the next aid station if you have to. It's four miles down, it's mile 26. At that point, you'll at least have done a marathon. Just, just start, just keep walking, right? And every step hurt. Every step was awful. Every step, I was like, 
My body is done. This is ridiculous. I'm 39. I've never run a race in my life. Why would I do this? What am I trying to prove? This is ridiculous. Who does this to themselves? The narratives, the lies, all the da-da-da-da. You can't make it. You won't finish. You're done. And then something happened, mile 25. I kid you not, it was the most, it was the craziest thing within about 25 yards every bit of pain I was experiencing in my body went away and I started to run. I was like, man, I feel great. Just slow at first and then I picked it up. Yo, I ran the last five miles faster than any of the previous 27. I was hitting like eight and a half, nine minute miles. I was flying down the home stretch. I was like, whoa, this feels amazing. What is happening? the second wind. And I thought about it. I was like, man, that's, that's what God's talking about when he says, I will give you divine power. I'm going to give you a second wind of the, the Holy Spirit. The wind of the Spirit will fill your sails and you'll be able to do what you can't do on your own. And I began to research the second wind, this whole thing. And what it actually is, is it's your mind convincing your body and your body finally agreeing with your mind that there's a lot more inside of you than you thought there was. And suddenly your body becomes very efficient at consuming fat as an energy source. Suddenly your your entire aerobic respiratory system gets very efficient at at bringing oxygen to your blood and you are flying. It's a second wind. And friends, in 2024, I believe this with all my heart, God wants to give you a second wind. Many of you have reached the end. You think I cannot go another step. And God is just whispering, don't believe that lie. I'm not done yet. I'm not done with you yet. It's time to turn the page. Friends, we're going to close with communion and we're going to close with prayer. And I want to encourage you to take this 21-day reset seriously. I want to encourage you to lean into God. I want to encourage you to be here for the next three weeks. There is so much the Scripture has to say about this that God wants to speak into your life. And friends, after we take communion, as soon as you're finished, our prayer teams are going to be down front. They love to pray for you. Our prayer walls are open for prayer requests. If you need prayer today, if you need a second wind today, come down front and receive prayer. But right now, I just want to remind you that the source of your strength is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that God himself became a man, died on a cross for your sins, rose again to new life so that you can live free, so that you can be transformed. Amen? Friends, let's take communion together in this moment. I want to invite the prayer teams to come down. And as soon as you're finished taking communion, you can come down front and receive prayer. I'll... I'll close this out in about a minute or two and then you're free to leave after that. But just for this moment, be with God. Receive communion. Be renewed with hope. In Jesus' name, let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.